African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. A very good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned in to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm your host, Asanda Matsaunyane, and we are currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. We're also on DSTV, audio bouquet, channel number 902. Today on the program, we'll be discussing the Constitutional Court's judgment on the Nganda saga. Also, South African President Jacob Zuma issued an apology over the way the Nganda issue was handled. We'll be unpacking that all in just a minute, and uh, well, after five minutes of news. So let's get the news now first. Here's Jalani Tulo. Good morning. Algeria's army has killed four armed militants in Al Oud. This brings the number of militants killed in the past two weeks in the region to 11. Four automatic weapons, grenades and ammunition were also seized during the military-led operation in the Bir al-Kasira area near the Tunisian border. Last year, the Algerian army killed or arrested 157 terrorists, according to the figures from the Ministry of Defense. A brutal civil war in the 1990s between the government and militia claimed the lives of some 200,000 people. Cameroon's opposition is continuing with protests against efforts by the ruling party to organize early elections. The opposition says Paul Beer is angling to be president for life after 34 years in office. Several protesters have been wounded or arrested since demonstrations started last week, Tuesday. Leader of Cameroon's People Party, CPP, Kawala, says they were dressed in black as a symbol of sadness over Beer's long stay in power and persistent brutality on voices opposing his attempt to be president for life. Another 18 soldiers from DR Congo accused of rape or attempted rape of the civilians they were meant to be protecting during the peacekeeping mission in the CAR were also present in the court. Sergeant Jackson Kikula is being prosecuted for raping a civilian. The first soldiers to face justice in a huge sex abuse scandal that has rocked the UN and France went on trial in the Democratic Republic of Congo on Monday. The three Congolese men from the UN peacekeeping mission in the Central African Republic, MINUSCA, appeared before the tribunal in Ndolo, a military prison north of the capital, Kinshasa. They are the first troops to be prosecuted in the scandal. More than 100 victims have come forward with horrifying accounts of sexual abuse by UN peacekeepers and French forces. Another 18 soldiers from DR Congo accused of rape or attempted rape of the civilians they were meant to be protecting during the peacekeeping mission in the CAR were also present in the court. Sergeant Jackson Kikula is being prosecuted for raping a 17-year-old girl and for not following orders. 
Sergeant Major Kibeka Mlambojuma faces similar charges, while Sergeant Major Nsasindazu was charged with disobeying orders and attempted rape. All three pleaded not guilty. Justice Minister Alexis Ntambwe Mwamba has called for absolute transparency in this trial. Leaders of various South Africa's opposition parties are expected to meet shortly ahead of a debate to remove President Jacob Zuma from office. The ANC caucus will also meet the political parties' meetings come three hours ahead of the debate. The opposition DA brought the motion for the debate following a landmark constitutional court ruling that found Zuma failed to protect the Constitution because he did not apply with the public protector's recommendations in her Ngandla report. Mercedes Percent reports. ANC Secretary-General Gwede Mantash is expected to hold a crucial meeting with the entire ANC caucus in Parliament. Leaders of opposition parties will also meet to come up with their plans ahead of the debate. The IFP will not support the DA's motion because it will be a fruitless exercise as the ANC has the numbers to block the motion with their majority vote. But IFP Chief Whip Naren Singh would not confirm the party's position, saying their caucus still has to decide on whether to support the motion or not. Still in South Africa, the long-awaited Xenophobia Report, which is a special reference group, has compiled, is being released on Tuesday. The Reference Group on Migration and Community Integration was commissioned by the KwaZulu-Natal government. Former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Judge Navy Pillay, headed the group, which also investigated threats to social cohesion. The group met with representative organizations and affected communities and individuals. Xenophobic attacks erupted in and around Durban in April last year before spreading elsewhere in the country. Well, that's all from me for today. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you to Jualani there for our news update. Now you are tuned into African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us via Twitter. Our handle is at Channel Africa 1 or you can simply SMS your views to plus 27796957930. If you want to email us, you can do so at info at channelafrica.org. My name is Asanda Matsaunyani. I'm hosting the show. Now, our topic for today, the Constitutional Court handed down judgment in the Nkandla case last week. It ruled that President Jacob Zuma, South Africa's president, has 45 days to pay back the money used on his private Nkandla home. The final figure will be determined by the National Treasury. In another development on Friday, last, Friday night last week, President Jacob Zuma conceded that many matters could have been handled differently in the scandal over the estimated 246 million rand of taxpayer cash being spent on his Nkandla homestead and upon 
apologized for the frustration and confusion this had caused. To help us discuss these two matters, we are joined in the line by Marinas Fikris, who is the constitutional expert, as well as Levi Ndo, who is a political science lecturer at Swane University of Technology. We welcome both of you to our show. Good morning to you. Firstly, let me start with you, Levi. In an extraordinary move, President Jacob Zuma offered to pay back some of the money spent on the Nkandla upgrades, and most people are saying that this strategy could be his downfall. What are your views on this sentiment? Well, I think one, uh, one it depends on where one stands. Um, maybe the approach should have been if he, he, he got the, the, the report from the public protector and then quickly react, it would have been different today. Now, President Zuma has made an offer to pay the money some months back, but unfortunately there were a number of processes that had to follow which he participated in ensuring that these processes were uh, unpacked. But then at the same time, none of the people that were participating in the processes came up with the determination of the amount of money that President Zuma had to pay. Now, just on the eve of the, uh, of the Concord, that is when he also, an emphasis was made that indeed President Zuma wanted to pay the money. I think that is important to have this kind of a background so that when we get into the matter, we actually understand where we're coming from. But even though you have a situation where it is clear that within the ranks of the ANC and the executive, they don't seem to be aware that the actions of the president and that of parliament were actually wrong. And I think that is where we are now. And maybe, indeed, they should have handled this matter differently. But unfortunately, that did not happen. Could but this be his downfall, this move to want to pay back some of the money? Well, I think it will depend on how the opposition and other people uh, actually react to his apology. But also, obviously, if you look at the Constitution, they talk about uh, ensuring that the president acts in a manner that does not uh, contradict the constitution, which is the highest law of the state. And when you get the, 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 the Concord ruling, it actually emphasizes the fact that the, the state president acted in a manner that was unconstitutional. And obviously, if indeed the opposition is standing firm on their issue. And the ANC, because the ANC is right now under a lot of pressure from its members, from the opposition, and from the general members of the public, this might become a, 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 the end of the road for President Zuman, unfortunately. Unless the ANC has to come with a different approach that can save President Zuma. Marinas, can we get you in? What's your view? Well, my view is yes. that... Uh, yes. Uh, let me say immediately, <clears throat> you know, everybody's blaming it on the president at the moment, but remember, the actual fact is 
that Parliament is letting down. He appointed a commission to look into the matter. They came up with a total clearance. And the other thing is that right in the beginning, they were not sure about the exact powers of the of the public protector, whether it's just a recommendation. And because the Cape Town court said, yes, it's got to be considered seriously, but it is not you know, enforceable. Now the Constitutional Court reversed that and said it must be given effect. And then before the, the court, the Constitutional Court, the present cities, but I was waiting for these investigations. We were not sure about the exact powers and the of the public protector. Of course, one can blame and said he should have taken a more responsible attitude, but he was not completely uh, at mercy. So I know it's, it's perhaps not you know, the thing to defend him, but I can understand his position because he was lit, he was misled by his parliamentary. You can say, okay, these were all henchmen, you know, he influenced them and so on. That's another matter. That's a political matter. But on the whole, I took his excuse and his uh, action very seriously. And there is something to say that he was misled. He carried on, he thought, the recommendations, as I said, just recommendations, findings, and appointing the commission. Now, the commission uh, and parliament let him down. So they didn't exercise their supervisory functions. The Constitutional uh, Court, though, Marinas did tell him to take actions against any member of his cabinet who has deviated from the norm and public finance management precepts. Uh, but now it seems that he wants to have the fall guys over this Nkandla issue. What do you read into this? If we're saying that, well, you know, it is maybe his members that let him down, but then the Constitutional Court did come in and say he must take action against those members. Exactly, exactly. You're so right. And this is what we want to see now. Is he going to take action? Is he going to, to exercise his powers and responsibilities as head of the state and chairman, well, president of the executive? That is a crucial question now. Is or he just going to try and excuse them as well? Mm. You're absolutely right. We've got to see that. How he, It's all very well for him to say, well, I'm sorry and everything. But now he's got to act in a well, according to his functions and his task, you're absolutely right. Let's, ha- let's hang on to that question and we're going to unpack that after our commercial break. We're going to take a, a quick break here on African Dialogue. Channel Africa is turning 50 this year. And to celebrate this milestone, Channel Africa invites you, our listeners, to send us anniversary messages. It's simple. Just call us on this number, plus 2783 and follow the prompts to leave a short message. We would love to hear from you, and we are looking forward to hear your well wishes. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome back to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. We are discussing the Constitutional Court's judgment on the Nkandla saga and also the fact that South African President Jacob Zuma has issued an apology on the way the Nkandla issue was handled. My name is Asanda Matzaunyane. Thanks for joining us. If you just have good morning to you. Levi, the question, 
Is President Jacob Zuma going to take action against those members of his cabinet? As we were discussing before, uh, Martin did mention before the break. What's your view? Yes, Asanda, now that um, the Concord has made a pronouncement, you would obviously expect President Zuma to act. Remember, President Zuma himself said that he accepts the, 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 the court ruling and is going to abide by the court ruling. The second step that President Zuma did was to make an apology. And now, this is the time for President Zuma to act, especially on those people that are actually being uh, 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 indicated in the report that he must actually take action against those people. As a, as a leader of the republic, as a person who seems to be accepting or agreeing with the, the public protector, those are the things that the president has to do. And whether uh, that is going to be accepted I won't come by in the opposition or not, authors, that right? is another matter. But and for now, I'll you expect the state president to quickly come in and ensure that he actually take action against uh, those people that are actually indicating that. And I think that would be a bold step that one would expect from the state president. We we also joined now by uh, Ben Chuok, who is a former ANC member of Parliament. Welcome to our show, Ben. Good morning. I'd like to pose this next question to you. South Africa continues to to fall apart because of people who refuse to remain upright and lead with integrity. Maybe a South African president is one of those people who could be accused of such. And the finger also points to the Speaker of Parliament, Balegambete, who unapologetically says that she won't step down. What does this say to the quality of leadership the ANC has, in your view? Well, you know... History tells us that no party lives forever. If they do, they tend to get more and more repressive and authoritarian. You know, we think of North Korea and various other countries where political, even Italy under Berlusconi, you know, Berlusconi, despite many scandals, lived, tried to live forever, and nobody does. And if you have people who are told by the Constitutional Court that they violated the Constitution, then they must realize that time is up. And it seems to me that what the ANC has to do now is to do some basic arithmetic. The ANC in Parliament is faced with a united opposition. This has never happened before. The ANC in the public domain is faced with pretty well a united media. All the press and radio stations are very critical of the top leadership of the ANC and united in condemning the leadership for the violations of the Constitution. If you read the international press, New York Times, the London Financial Times, and so on, they too are united in condemning what is going on in this country. And the writing is on the wall. And yes, you can stay in power by manipulating like Berlusconi did for year after year after year, but in the end, you know, you leave in disgrace. And that is the lesson of history. 
And to, uh, speaking of the condemning, uh, you know, the SACP has the SACP has also called on the ANC to take decisive action. And like you said, the international press has also come out. The SACP has called, uh, or you know, for the ANC to take decisive action against continuing loss of moral authority, political paralysis, and fragmentation within the tripartite alliance. It seems now the alliance is also under 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 threat. Mardinus, what does this say? about the tripartite alliance? Does the center hold? <laughs> now, well, I exactly. was listening to Nick, and then those are very, very wise words. The tripartite alliance, you see, basically this whole, uh, this whole controversy, this huge dilemma now, and the uh, crisis, I must say, is very much an ASC uh, dilemma. And it's through their own doings, and especially through the lack of strong leadership on the head, and they elected, remember, they elected unanimously at the last conference, President Zuma. So they've got to deal with it. And if they want to show solidarity, and I hope it's not going to be simply, you know, patching things up as we've seen with the Women's League and so on, but they really get down to the basics. What is wrong in the tripartite? We don't want to see the tripartite just break up because it's a strong force in uh, whether you agree or not in our politics. But this, if the whole uh, present state brings them to a dilemma, and if it cannot be resolved, if they cannot take strong action and concerted action, well, then the tripartite must break up. What is the view of the ANC Women's League in this? Well, they're supporting, they're supporting President Zuma. And the trouble is that President Zuma, if you look at the security forces and the Minister of Police, and if you see the appointments in our security forces and things that happened, the, the housebreaking of the Helen Sisman um, Foundation and things like that, you can see there's a huge network of security apparatus who support the president. And I hope that the tripartite will show their strength and say, enough of this, and we must consolidate our political power. That's a political question, but I've got to take the responsibility. And we, the ordinary citizens of this country, cannot longer wait for this wavering, this infighting concern. And I agree, I agree that tripartite, if they can't resolve it, they have no right to exist as a tripartite. Ben, were you at yesterday's extended ANC-NEC meeting? No, I'm not a member of the NEC. Thank goodness. Okay. Uh, but what what is your view on the fact that the ANC Women's League has been quiet and we haven't heard from them? Well, they they are supporting the last is what that's what we heard last. But you know, uh, you know, in in the latest developments, we haven't heard anything. The ANC Women's League is of no importance whatsoever. It's a small group of people who hang on to office, who don't have a mass base, who don't take up women's issues, who only take up personality issues. Now they want a women's president. For goodness' sake. We've got so many serious issues facing the country and all they can shout about is, so I don't take the Women's League at all seriously. It stopped being a serious 
movement quite a long while ago. Levi, some political commentators are saying that President Jacob Zuma is applying the same tactics uh, for this year's ANC elective conference as applied by Tabumpegi not so long ago. Do you see the, the uh, comparison and do you see him winning with these tactics? Well, well uh, I think his conduct... Can, can we... Sorry, Ben, let's start with Levi and then we'll come to you. No, I well, have to leave, so if you can please finish with me. Okay, all right, let's go Ben and then Levi. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, Zuma's conduct is quite different to Mbeki. It's true that Mbeki was rather high-handed and so on, but uh, President Zuma has gone much further in deploying cronies, in controlling the machine, in uh, doing in misconduct, in disobeying the public protector, it's much more serious. And so it seems to me any comparison between President Zuma and President Becky is really not correct. Levi? Well, I, I think one must uh, appreciate the fact that um, uh, the comparison between the two is based on, on how they actually used state institutions in order to fight their personal battles. And obviously with President Zuma, Asanda, you'll actually realize that he tried, or the ANC tried his best, to use parliament in order to protect President Zuma. Another important aspect is the fact that the opposition in parliament tried its best in ensuring that the ANC and President Zuma do the right thing. You will recall that before the fifth parliament, when Lindwema Zibuko was still the leader of the opposition, the matter of the upgrades in Kanja was high on parliament's agenda. It came now in the fifth administration the opposition advised the ANC and government to say that we don't need these parliamentary subcommittees because we need to focus only on the recommendations of the public protector. What did the ANC and the executive did? They uh, continued, came with the, we, we uh, gave the police minister the responsibility to go and look at this matter, have a parliamentary committee, Minister Casey uh, 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 also did the same in order to protect President Zuma. Now, obviously, if you have to compare President Zuma and President, former President Becky, there is a huge difference. The extent in which the, the, the parliament was used by President Zuma to protect him has gone too far. And I think one must also acknowledge the role that the opposition has played because they kept on reminding President Zuma and the ANC that they need to respect their recommendations by the public protector and unfortunately that fell on deaf ears and that is why this matter had to be referred to court. And speaking of the voices of the opposition, Marinus, the EFF has, has called for the president to be recalled and the DA wants him impeached. What is the difference between the two? Well, if they recall, as in the case of ex-president Mbeki, it's a very much a party matter. They 
exercise pressure and they ask him uh, to call him back. It's it's actually the sort of thing you found in the communist countries that there's a power to recall. But in those countries, as here, and it's in the power of the party. So it's parties got to decide we don't want this leader and they recall him. Parliamentary procedure could ask for a motion of non-confidence in the president. Then, with an ordinary majority, he's got to resign and his cabinet. Um, now, that is very unlikely to happen. Now, impeachment is a much more difficult procedure. There, he's got to be removed from office by two-thirds majority, and it's an intricate procedure to put him in a state of accusation. Once he's removed in such a one could say disgraceful manner, then he loses all his benefits, his pensions. And so it's very, very unlikely that that would happen. It could be a motion of non-confidence, but given the state of affairs in the party, without clear idea of who's you know, going to take up as a successor, the successor... The, the party would be very loath to support the opposition in that respect. So I think we must, we must expect sort of all various, perhaps there also there would be some shuffles in cabinet and they would replace. So they'll put in some political and constitutional remedial action, but drastic action as a motion of confidence and certainly not impeachment, I cannot foresee. And in that case of impeachment, if we talk about a third uh, of the majority, it, I mean two-thirds of the majority, it would mean over a mm. hundred members of the ANC, uh, members of parliament. So, I mean, how how realistic is the DA uh, Levi in calling for an impeachment when they know the majority of the people that need to vote are actually ANC, the very people who are defending their president? Yes, well, I think exactly. what the DA is trying to do is to be seen to be doing the right thing in the eyes of the public. But also at the same time, what we need to consider as well is the fact that the, the ground is fertile for the call for President Zuma to be removed out of office. And because the ANC is not uh, acting in a manner that uh, would please South Africa, the DA is trying its best to, to lead in this exercise. But number two, I think another reason why the DA would love the motion to be debated in Parliament is because the opposition will have sufficient time and hearing by the public in order for them to expose the weaknesses of President Zuma. Whether the motion passes or not, they would have uh, succeeded in putting their message across in discrediting President Zuma, because that is the most important time that they are going to have. Remember, in Parliament, opposition parties don't have sufficient time to debate, because time is actually uh, allocated on the basis of uh, the seats that one gets. Now, the opposition will have sufficient time to talk and discredit President Zuma. But also, when the ANC, which is known or which is given the responsibility to lead society and do the right things 
is not doing so, other parties will occupy that space because there is a vacuum. And I think the ANC is busy creating that vacuum because the ANC is deliberately not doing right things that are actually expected of them by the general population of South Africa. And I mean, just to mention, we did ask the ANC to join us in this interview today, but they did decline. Uh, Marinus, why did uh, the ANC and the uh, South Africa's president deny any wrongdoing when the Nkandla matter was raised at first? Well, the simple reason is they didn't take the public perspective seriously. They thought, well, it's just, just a recommendation. It's, it will, the Constitution says it's got to be considered with respect and so on, but they didn't even that, do that. They tried to denigrate her, but it was a wrong interpretation. It was fortified in a sense by the, the Cape Town decision. So... To put it very frankly, they neglected the impact of the public protector's findings. What what effect will this uh, the current situation have on the municipal elections later this year, Levi? Well, um, <laughs> this is going to give the opposition something to talk about and lure the voters. The opposition will have all the facts. When they go out to the, to the voters, they'll be able to say, you have put the ANC in power, the ANC does not respect the constitution. The word uh, corruption has been in the lips of all political parties. Obviously, they'll talk more about corruption because this constitutes a corrupt tendency on the part of the ANC. I know that the ANC would come up with a number of strategies to defend themselves, talking about their track record in terms of service delivery. But the ANC is, uh, uh, has to, to be blamed for always giving the opposition something to talk about and against them. And obviously this matter, when any opposition member takes the podium, talking about uh, 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 attracting voters to the party, they must mention the spendings in Ganja, they must mention the decisions that are being taken by President Zuma, they must also uh, indicate how the ANC leadership and the members of parliament disregard the importance of the public protection and society. And obviously, these are all the doings of the ANC. They give the opposition what to talk about, so about or they give opposition and ammunition to be able to, uh, uh, to attack them. Okay, so now the president has apologized, and now the president is saying that he will pay some of the money. But, Mardinus, the 60 days given to finance minister and uh, the auditor general, well, I think it's 57 days now if we count from last week, Thursday. Is this, yes. is, I mean, how uh, do you really need 60 days to determine how much the president should be paying back when all these reports have been done, all the figures are, are there, everything is on writing of what's exactly gone into the Nganda homestead? Why 60 days? Or is it just another delay tactic in your in your view? No, no, no. The court wants to make it very clear for a thorough investigation. The court, and that is very much the way lawyers work and judges, they want to make very sure that this case would be handled correctly and that the Treasury would have enough time to consider. Look, there's... Then later, the, the other reports as well, and we got to consider his acknowledgement to pay back. No, 
it is absolutely necessary that it, uh, you know, there is time left to work it out. I just want to add on the local elections. You see, the, there's a crisis in the INC, hmm. but they rally around, uh, not so much rally around the president, but rally around the party. And it will certainly have the call to the local voters to say, please support us now so that we can get over this crisis. So I don't see a very definite sway away from the from the, the support of the party. In, in, on the contrary, they say, please show your support, your traditional support and your strength in supporting the, the way the party goes. So that will be the call to stand together to head and to solve this crisis. And on, on and another, will, mm-hmm. it, continue. And it will, it will, it will bring out a strong message to the voters in the local elections. So I, I don't foresee that the local elections will be heavily influenced by, in a negative way, by these scandals and everything. We're talking the Constitutional Court's judgment on the Nkandla saga here on African Dialogue today and discussing the President's uh, apology and every other thing that has come out of this uh, issue. And we're joined by uh, Mardinus Fikas, who's a, a constitutional expert, as well as Levi Ndo, who's political science lecturer at the Tswane University of Technology. Now, moving, not really moving on from the issue, because this is also quite connected to it, the, the invitation by the Secretary-General Gwede Mantash to, you know, promise uh, amnesty to whistleblowers in the Gupta saga. What do we expect from this, uh, Levi? Was this another way that the ANC could be maybe shooting themselves in the foot? Well, uh, the ANC has quite been um, uh, embarrassed of late by a number of events that were actually uh, breaking. And you will recall that there has been this, uh, this uh, relationship between the Gupta family and President Zuma. And obviously, it's a crisis after crisis management by the ANC relating to a number of events that are actually unfolding in South Africa. But I think at the same time, what the SG is trying to do is to say that let's have people that provide this information because there seemed to be a perception uh, by some leaders of the ANC of not being able to have all the information available. And some uh, are, 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 are behaving as if they are quite shocked by the events that are taking place, that the influence of the Gupta family seemed to have gone far uh, uh, to an extent where senior decisions that the president has to take with uh, his colleagues in the NEC, the Guptas are also being involved. And I think that is why he's trying his best to say, let's get everybody who has the information to come forward so that we need to act on the basis of what we have. Remember, Asanda, there has been a meeting that took place between the Gupta family and the ANC, and whilst the ANC was trying to accuse uh, the Guptas of spreading uh, the rumor about the divisions and tractions within the ANC. But I think what the uh, Gwede is trying to do is to gather all the necessary information and say, all those that are bringing in the information, we're going to protect them, 
we're going to ensure that they bring the information as confidential as possible. But there seems to be an indication that the ANC wants to take action in relation to the influence that the Gupta families have on the president. And I think what we need to do is to adopt the wait-and-see approach and see if they, they will indeed take drastic action and expect a major changes to actually take place. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. We'll discuss that uh, point that you just made. Can I, unfortunately, I've got to leave. Oh, you have to leave. Okay, can you just quickly uh, uh, touch on that that Gupta issue, Marnes, before you leave us? Yes, uh, it's a very responsible step by Mr. Uh, you know, by, by Gwede, because now it's clear, it's been made clear that the puppy protector has uh, remedial powers that can be enforced. What is the logical and the responsible um, outcome of that? Look at the other relations, and that's exactly what they do, and it is very much a responsible action in line with the Constitutional Court's verdict. Okay. Thank you so much, and we understand that you do have to leave us. Ben also had to rush somewhere, so we know how busy you all are. But if you can, Levi, please do stay with us. So thank you very much to you, Marinus. Well, thank you for the very interesting discussion, and best of luck. It's been a pleasure. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break. You are listening to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. We'll be back after this. If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home, tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome back to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. My name is Asanda Matzaunyane, discussing the Constitutional Court's judgment on the Nkandla saga and President Jacob Zuma's uh, issuing of an apology and uh, promising to pay back the money. Uh, Levi, just in closing... We are all anticipating two o'clock uh, Parliament session today. What what are you expecting from this in closing, Levi? Okay, we seem to have lost uh, Levi. But one thing that we will be doing here uh, on Channel Africa is that uh, we will be broadcasting this afternoon's debate. It will be live on the Internet. So you can log on to channelafrica.org to catch that. Uh, It will be a very interesting session. And starting at 2 o'clock Central African time, uh, the parliament session here in South Africa. So that was our topic today, the Constitutional Court's judgment on the Gandla saga. As you've heard uh, some of our uh, commentators, we had Levi Ndo, who was a political science uh, lecturer at Swana University. We had Ben Turok, who was with us for just a short bit of time, a former ANC member of parliament. And we had Marinus Fikhas, who's a constitutional law expert. Interesting debate it was, and I think this is something that will be going on, especially in South Africa, in terms of debate and discussions for quite a while. 
So we want to thank you also for tuning into our show today. It's been another interactive, interesting installment. Always a pleasure. And I'm so glad to be here to be the host and driving the show. We also want to thank our producer, Jose Munyahi. Uh, our executive producer Brett Wilkinson as well as our technical producer Mario Edwards please do join us tomorrow remember to send us your views as well we are on Twitter our handle is at Channel Africa you can also SMS plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero you can also email us at info at channelafrica.org remember we also on channel uh, Channel Africa is also on uh, DSTV audio bouquet Channel number 902. Right now, we're going to get our economics news with Amanda Machaga. It's been a pleasure. Goodbye. Thank you, Asanda. Good morning. The African Union warns that the ongoing drought in the continent is now threatening to reduce the energy production levels in the affected countries. Already there are reports of reduction in water levels in different dams and this is bound to cause economic challenges. AU Commissioner of Economic Affairs Anthony Mutai Marubin. Mozambique, uh, Ghana, that rely uh, substantially on hydropower, they suffered because the reservoirs were down. The Kariba dam was down. Uh, the Kaborabasa dam was was down, and the Ghana Okosongo uh, reservoir was was also low. Uh, it, that has a lot of impact. South Africa's watchdog, Corruption Watch, says banks have an important role to play in ensuring the rich and powerful do not use illicit means to hide their money. The non-profit organization statement comes after it emerged that President Jacob Zuma's nephew, Kulubuse, was one of those named in confidential documents that have been leaked from one of the world's most secretive law firms, Mossack Fonseca. The document exposes how people have been hiding their money. Zuma is said to have been authorized to represent one of two offshore companies that controversially acquired oil fields in the DRC. Corruption Watch's Executive Director David Lewis. Regulations have to be very strictly enforced and imposed. And uh, the, the banks are particularly at the front line of, of this kind of uh, knowledge. With computer-based technology, it is possible to sift through enormous amounts of information in a relatively short space of time. This particular leak has been uh, researched using advanced computer technology. Meanwhile, two of the world's largest wealth manager, Credit Suisse and HSBC, have dismissed suggestions that they are actively using offshore structures to help clients cheat on their taxes. The comments come a day after a leak of four decades of documents from a law firm in Panama. The so-called Panama Papers have exposed financial arrangements of 18 African politicians and public figures. The International Monetary Fund's Managing Director, Christine Lagarde, has turned up the volume on her calls for stronger action by the world's economies to boost growth. In a speech at a Frankfurt University, Lagarde prescribed specific moves including for the United States to raise its minimum wage. She says recovery from the 2007 to 2009 global financial crisis remains too slow 
too fragile and that the risk to its durability is increasing. An American motor manufacturer, Ford Motor Company, is to invest $170 million in South Africa. The company's regional head, Jim Feli, says the money will be spent on expanding their factory in order to build a new model that will be exported elsewhere in Africa. He says the move reinforces South Africa's position as a strategic export base for Ford. In your financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 14.72 to the South African rent, at 10.71 Botswana Pula, and at 10.90 Zambian Kwacha. It's at 0.70 to the British pound and at 0.87 to the euro. On two commodities, gold is at $1,218 and platinum at $943 an ounce. The price of plain crude oil is at $36.50 a barrel. That's the latest economics news. Desmond Tutu is a human rights defender and Nobel Prize winner from South Africa. He became world famous in the 1980s as an opponent of apartheid. During that time, Desmond Tutu was active as a bishop for the Anglican Church in South Africa. He was awarded the Nobel Prize of Peace in 1984 for his leading role in the movement to resolve the problems of apartheid. Now join Channel Africa from Monday to Friday at 900 hours Central African time when we bring you the radio series Desmond Tutu, The Authorized Portrait. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today's sports fans, I am Musibudi Makuda with your latest sports news at the Sawam. Kenya is set to miss another World Anti-Doping Agency deadline, moving it closer to a possible Rio Olympics ban. WADA's Compliance Review Committee meets in Montreal on Tuesday and is expected to recommend the East African country is declared non-compliant. The organization's board is then expected to approve the move on the 12th of May. Kenya failed to meet a deadline on the 11th of February to pass a law establishing a new national anti-doping agency. WADA then placed it on the watch list of nations at risk of breaching its code and gave it until the 5th of April to show it was tackling cheating in the sport. Kenyan lawmakers have held a preliminary reading of a bill criminalizing sports doping, but two further hearings and presidential assent are still required. On to football news. The Algerian Football Federation has announced that they have parted ways with Algerian coach Christian Gokhaf. Gokhaf resigned on Sunday just days after positive results in a pair of African Nations Cup qualifiers put the country on the brink of qualifying for next year's finals in Gabon. After three wins and a draw, Algeria are top of their qualifying group for the 2017 Cup of Nations qualifiers, needing just one win from their remaining games against the Seychelles away on the 3rd of June and Lesotho at home on the 2nd of September to guarantee qualification.
unification. The former France international was appointed back in 2014. Meanwhile, FC20 midfielder Gamohelo Mogojo has announced his decision not to honor any future Bafana Bafana call-ups. The 25-year-old was recently called up for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers against Cameroon. However, he was not included in the match day squad for the first leg in Limbe and warmed the bench in the return leg in Durban at the Moses Mabida Stadium. At the post-match press conference, Bafana Bafana head coach Efram Sheikh Mashaba was left ir- when he was asked about his decision to leave Mokoja out of such an important match. The midfielder has however stated that he will not be available for any national team call-up if the current circumstances do not change. Meanwhile, South Africa's senior women's national football team is en route to Botswana, where they will take on the hosts in the first leg of the African Women's Championship qualifier on Saturday at the Sports Complex Stadium in Lobate. The return leg is scheduled for Makulong Stadium in Tembisa, east of Johannesburg, on the 12th of April. Banyana Banyana played Cameroon in two friendly matches last week, and Fran Hilton-Smith, the technical director for women's football and the South African Football Association, believes the matches prepared the team well going into this crucial qualifier. It was really exciting to have uh, a, a class friendly after a lot of uh, camping. The team's been in camp since November. And to go to Cameroon was, was very important for us because, uh, they, as you said, they are the hosts of the upcoming AWC later this year. So it gave the team a chance to get a feel of the country, not get a surprise when we go to the tournament. Uh, some tough conditions, and also to play Cameroon, I think, gives us an edge because Botswana hasn't played any top competition. So I think we really go into the game with, uh, you know, one foot ahead. Meanwhile, South Africa's premiership side Mamaloli Sundowns have appealed to the Premier Soccer League to postpone their league match against Bolaguana City, set for next week Wednesday. The Brazilians will travel to the Democratic Republic of Congo to face AC Vita Club in the CAV Champions League second leg, first um, rather second round first leg clash on Saturday, and the return leg will be on Monday, um, rather returning home on Monday evening. They will then have to travel to Limpopo where they will face um, Bolaguana City and come back to face Jomo Cosmos three days days later at home. Coach Peter Musimane says the program is unfavorable for his team. In Kinshasa, we need to get a, a good result uh, and play smart and clever. And you're going to Pulukwane, it's not easy. It eliminated the Quena, so it's a big one. Eh? And Cosmos is a big one. But those two games are, are, are a thorn in the flesh. I'm going to tell you about the program again. That as much as the program doesn't help us, we will speak about the progress, but the program doesn't help us. I mean, we're coming from, from, from Kinshasa. On a Monday evening, you're, playing, you're going to Pulukwane on a Wednesday. I mean, it's very difficult, eh? And Pulukwani match is a big match for us. We can't lose that match. And after that, we have a Cosmos again on Saturday. Six, and, then, six, six, and then on Wednesday, you have, you have the return leg for, 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 for the Champions League. I mean, those two games, why those two games? Okay, put one. Mm. You know, if the league can help us, if the league can help us, remove one match. The Swiss Force is at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Step into the light. 